Welcome back in Twitter Spaces. Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, our Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Apologies for the for the, for the the issues we've been having, some tech issues. We don't know why the tech gods sometimes speak for themselves. But we do have a big show. We had, we had Juneteenth, which was a holiday, so the markets were closed. So we got kind of a shorter week, but we definitely have a lot going on that we want to jump into, including looking at... Um, and how businesses are reacting to Jay Powell's pause. And, and, and Mark's going to tell us about what the data says underneath it. And also, is Binance getting a lucky break? I don't know if I would call it lucky, but some kind of a break. So we're going to dive into all that. But first, we'll do our market overviews. And before that, we definitely want to talk about our sponsor, The Money Show, because they have a mid-year portfolio review. It's a virtual conference. Tell us about it, Mark. Yes, Rob, that's right. Today's show is brought to you once again by our friends at The Money Show. This is a platform that has been on for a long, long time. They just celebrated their 40th anniversary, if my memory serves me correctly, with some of the best in real life investor education conferences that I've ever been to. Uh, John and I are frequent speakers, both on their virtual events as well as in person. And they are hosting on the 25th to the 27th of June, their mid-year portfolio review with a star-studded, financial star-studded roster of uh, leading folks, market masters, including myself and John, who will be on there for part of it. You should see pinned up to the crow's nest the link for the B3 Nation to go to and register. It is completely free. We encourage you to support our sponsors, our friends over at The Money Show. Continue your journey of finding enlightenment or at least financial enlightenment uh through not only b3 bulls bears and blockchain but also the money show so go and check them out go to the crow's nest register attend their event mid-year portfolio review june 25 to 27 and you know if you don't find total enlightenment if you can at least find some financial enlightenment it helps it's just like they say you know being rich doesn't solve all your problems but money certainly makes some of them go away mark you're on a roll what um we had, we had Father's Day, Happy Father's Day to you guys. We had Juneteenth, Happy Juneteenth, and so we got three days left. But there's actually quite a bit going on. Tell us about what we're looking up, look at at, at the short week ahead. Well, there, there is Rob. We've got uh, a lot for those of us that love listening to members of the Fed speak. We've got some commentary that we're going to be hearing this week, uh, tomorrow, I believe, from three Fed governors, helping us to unpack what happened last week with the famous now hawkish skip sorry pause uh, that came from uh, Jerome Powell uh, last week as markets continue traders corporations retail investors and institutions trying to make heads or tails of where we go from here after uh, JPAS famous pause last week uh, markets uh, selling off uh, a bit today the Dow Jones was off just under uh, uh, 75 basis points, the S&P, similarly, just under 50 basis points, the NAS coming in, the least in the red, just under 20 basis points, down 0.16. Uh, we, I'm not surprised we had a little bit of a sell-off. The bulls have been firmly in charge, perhaps maybe even more so than they should have been following what, to me, was a clearly hawkish pause and an indication that more hikes are coming before we get to cutting, before we get to the good part and cutting those rates as we try to get to that magic 2% number. So, yeah, only three trading days left, but still lots going on. And as I always do, turning it over 
to my Armenian brother from another mother, Dr. J. Didn't talk to you much today, Doc. What were you looking at? He's not on, Mark. I don't think Dr. J's on with us. I think he got bounced off. Um, so we're <laughs> so we're going to take a minute. We'll see if John comes on, and we'll back up to it. Um, we'll, we'll move on to the crypto part. But, Mark, before we do, um, you uh, can I ask you a question? Which is bigger on Thursday, jobless claims or home sales? And how do they overlap? Well, you know, so listen, if you're if you're living in Fedland, um, it's definitely the jobless claims. As no surprise to anybody that listens to this show, we'll know J-Pow is going to be looking for continued cooling into the PCE uh, among the most important data points that the Fed uh, watches. So that's, I think, far more important. And I don't think the home sales number, I don't think we're going to see much of a surprise we saw some interesting earnings out of the companies like Lennar that are in the building of new homes, because, of course, as we've said before, as I think we covered last week, the only homes that are moving in this market are new homes. Existing home turnover is still at, I think, about a 10-year low. So the only sales, the only home sales are new home sales. So I don't think we're going to get to see uh, much in terms of that. We might see a little bit of a pickup if if the earnings from the home builders or any indication we could see, uh, we could be looking at a little bit of a pickup in new home sales when we get those numbers on Thursday. But the Fed cares more about jobs, and of course, we care more about the Fed because don't fight the Fed, as we always like to oh, say. Oh, we like the Fed. And we're going to talk about the commercial real estate market a little later in the show. Last thing for you on this, Mark, Netflix, sure. you know, a lot of people were taking bets on whether Netflix, you know, putting the chokehold on people sharing the password would hurt them, and it seems to be yeah. helping them. Yeah, you know, listen, um, that we I think that's turning out to be a lot better of a strategy than I had anticipated. Although, Rob, I think, you know, I remember when I was first covering the story about the real impact of password sharing on my Sirius XM radio show, it was like $50 million plus dollars a month. It was a meaningful hole in the balance sheet that you can't, in the exercise of any fiscal responsibility, just ignore. So the crackdown had to happen, uh, controversial as it may be. Uh, and But in fact, it's it's now maybe coming out the other side of the controversy where it, it's it's working because they had reported, I think, early, the largest five streak of subscribers in Netflix history. And a lot of people thinking it's all their ex-girlfriends who got booted off the exchange their accounts final good things for q3 so we're going to be keeping a careful eye on that that stock's obviously done very well this year does this put netflix in the front line for streaming platform stocks that you would be looking optimistically at well they are you know i mean the the, the netflix is undoubtedly in the in the front line um and and has maintained that position for about a year now um no one has really been able to catch up to their market share i don't see anybody in a meaningful position to catch up to their market share um particularly when you've got a lot of streaming elements that are parts of larger conglomerates like disney plus right and disney and and disney of course owns uh, 70 odd percent i think 74 percent of hulu um and a number of other things where you've got revenue streams where the the losses on streaming tend to be a drag um whereas that gives it some competitive advantage as well 
Awesome. You guys, you're listening to B3, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. We do this Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and a special weekend edition on Sundays. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all the speakers as well. Please tweet out the space. If you're listening and enjoying it, how could you not be? So share it. And then stick around when we're done, because we have a Beyond B3, an after show that, that, uh, that Julie Lamb will be hosting. It's a lot of fun. She's a great host. You get you get in, you get to participate. I mean, not everybody, but she'll get as many people as she can. Some good guests. So stick around for that. It's sort of it's the follow up to our kickoff show. Um, we still don't have Dr. J with us. So Fantastic Futures is on a temporary hold. They'll still be fantastic, even when John gets back in. But Alex, what's the what's the fantastic story of crypto right now? Well, today it was fantastic, and. Um... You know, as I like to call it, I'm gonna. I, I know Mark doesn't like this, but B3 After Dark is the second hour. Looks great. It's not the official name. Um, listen, crypto market, the cryptocurrency market cap, uh, top 1.1 trillion on volume of 35 billion for the day, up three and a half percent with Bitcoin hitting 28,000 for the first time since. Well, it's now 28.2 uh, on the board, and it's first time it's been here since the 28th of May. Uh, and doing so on $20 billion trading ants the last 24 hours. But after anybody who's a crypto trader or paying attention to the markets, after diving last week on regulatory news, it appears maybe some of this positive price action, maybe because of the news that Citadel, Charles Schwab, and Vidal all secretly brought an exchange named the EDX that they co-invested in live. And they just uh, brought it to our attention you know, in the last uh, 48 hours. So apparently they've been trading Bitcoin ETH for weeks on this. Um, and some are even saying that they are building the plumbing for banks in uh, crypto. So we'll see how that unfolds. But definitely three big powerhouse names, uh, you know, launching this exchange on the heels of uh, two very uh, high profile enforcement actions driving Bitcoin up from the $25,000 range to over 28. Most of the top 100 coins um, are seeing green today with some standouts such as Optimism, ticker OP, up 18%, Stacks, ticker SDX rising 23%, and pushing its seven-day return past 40%. Ethereum is seeing about 3.5% gain on 6.4 billion in trading volume at 1780, uh, actually 1782 right now. Um, and we are keeping an eye on the TradeTheChain.com dashboard, as it is showing over 120 million in stablecoin net inflows into major exchanges, so I'm expecting some volatility over the next day or so as traders to deploy that powder they pulled out to the side when they took profits on what I'm assuming is going to be shorts if they followed the smart money. So, Alex, I want to bring Nick in in a second, but but talk for a second about Charles Schwab and Fidelity and Citadel. What does that What does that mean for? Uh, Again, it was a surprise, but essentially that's that's the first major players, right, of, of the nature, like a Charles Schwab saying, we're going to let you trade crypto on our platform. Well, I mean, as far as an exchange that is backed by them, it is. It's not the first of the major players. Um, I, I know lots of the cats who are Fidelity Digital uh, going all the bit way back to 2017 um, when they started first unrolling their Bitcoin uh, product within the Fidelity digital platform. And believe it or not, a lot of folks don't know, they actually had a point mining farm up in New Hampshire as far back as 2015. So Fidelity is really a, a, a forerunner 
in this, um, you know, the big names on Wall Street getting into crypto. Uh, but then you have Citadel, and Citadel is a big pillar in high-frequency trading. Um, they do, uh, you know, they, they do the companies such as, as Robinhood. Um, you know, they market make for a lot of the players uh, as an island desk. And then you have Charles Schwab, which is, as everybody knows, a huge asset manager, just like Fidelity, uh, on the retail side. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, if, if, if Mark decides to go into this topic later on, I will say I'm going to put on my tin cap because this is coming on the heels of two enormous events as far as by conspiracy theory antenna says, which is the Binance and the Coinbase lawsuits from the SEC followed almost immediately by the first spot uh, Bitcoin ETF by BlackRock, um, more than likely getting up. So we'll talk so. about it and, and, later. And Alex, Alex, what about Deutsche Bank? Also announcing getting into the fray today. Like, I, I, w, what WTF is going on here? I mean, it, it's you almost got to take the tin hats out. Like, uh, and how EDX got this far and has apparently been in beta and i don't mean trading a few btc like a lot how are they able to keep this quiet i've got more questions than i've got mark's got 10 points now we're i i agree agree with you mark and i'm i'm surprised i haven't heard of uh the word of edx uh prior to this week um surprising that it hasn't been leaked uh and deutsche bank that's a whole different story, man. Weren't we talking differently about Deutsche Bank standing, uh, you know, going back to the uh, banking issues that were happening when things were collapsing? <laughs> yeah, like, like like two days ago, it feels like. And and mind you, you know, Citadel, and these are not necessarily views that I personally hold, okay? But, you know, Citadel is not without controversy. A huge amount of yeah, controversy. Exactly. The whole Robin Hood scandal. Exactly. No, not just Robin Hood, but their market making practices, short you yep. know, their role in short selling, questions around you know, if if you talk about the tin hat crowd, the people that always have the tin hat on, you know, Citadel and, and Kenny G over there are, you know, the, the, the evil black hand in the, you know, of the of the puppet of the US financial system. And like just like the government likes to blame everything on crypto. There's a whole world out there that likes to blame financial uh, news in the United States on Kent Griffith and Citadel. Uh, I think that's a little ridiculous. But you got a couple of names that are not without their own amount of controversy kind of saying, eh, yes, you know what? we don't really care that the is on its arguably greatest enforcement tear. Forget about crypto-related. I mean, of all time of any industry enforcement tear, certainly that I've ever seen in the two decades that I've practiced as a securities lawyer fighting the SEC. I have never seen anything like this. And Citadel, Deutsche Bank, BlackRock's response to, to, to Gary G, hold my beer. I got something for you. What the hell? Yeah. I'm I'm looking, listen, I'm the Mark, I, I want to bring this up again because I'm looking forward to digging into the weeds of this, especially with the connection to the SEC and to the Fed. I think, you know, right off the top uh, from macro level, I'm not happy about it, as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people aren't. And it does look fishy as freaking heck. Well, we're, Mark and, and Alex, we're going to definitely pick this up a little later in the show. But just to finish it off, since we pulled the tin the tin foil or the aluminum hats out, Alex, 
What is your tinfoil theory on this? That the government is intentionally trying to, you know, chokehold crypto and then let a couple big institutional players come in and own it if they could? 100%. Absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, it, it, I, you know, this is my thought and my opinion and wild speculation. So everybody just bear with it that it's crazy. But, you know, one of the names that we haven't heard uh, over the last half a year um, that's really been poignant to me is we haven't heard about Circle, uh, which produces UBC. Okay, we haven't heard about that name from anybody. And the and one of the things that makes me uh, pay attention to that is the CBDC. Now, I firmly believe uh, that as of right now, that Circle is a target to be the CBDC of the Fed. Okay, and I'd love for people to shoot holes in my uh, in my theory. I also believe that between what went on with SBF last year, which, by the way, last year, uh, you know, when early on in B uh, three, I did give some pretty wild speculation on you know Sam Bankman Fried and and the government and what was going on there, to the fact that now they've gone after Binance and they're going after Coinbase. Uh, but yet they're allowing three major other institutions to launch an exchange without anybody knowing. Obviously, the government, the uh, SECs have been in talks with them for a long time. You don't just launch an exchange overnight. And these people have red tape that clutters up a closet. So this had to have been at least a year in the making from my guesstimations, okay? So this has been going on while everything else has been going on. I think there's way more to this story than meets the eye, but it hasn't deviated from what I believe, which is a cutout of crypto to be controlled by a cast of characters on the top uh, in the United States. A lot of evidence there. And as Mark said, the SEC has never been this aggressive in anything. I, I mean, I'm not as old as Mark, but I believe him. Um, so just a joke. Just a joke. Hey, Nick. Let's bring you in, Nick Mancini. Let's bring you quickly into the conversation. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on on Bitcoin now back up to just over 28. And also, you know, what about Alex's idea that Circle's a target for the CBDC for the Fed? Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, thank you very much to, to start. And I'll go ahead and start with, uh, the, to, with Bitcoin to kick it off and uh, do a little victory lap because we did say uh, if 25K was holding last Thursday that we were targeting 27 or 28K and ding 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 right before the show we hit 28k so we're feeling very good over at the trade the chain desk about uh, recent performance now um I, I do think that a lot of the recent boost was around of course blackrock at, uh, etf news along with some of these other players stepping in as alex noted we did see massive uh, inflows into exchanges in terms of stables and cash most notably uh, coinbase does appear to be the the main buyer today so if we do see on the u.s side of things uh you know u.s participants soaking up bitcoin day over day over the next couple of weeks then uh you know that may give credence to a rally up to 30 31k or potentially higher don't want to get ahead of ourselves but uh inflows to exchanges and of course spot purchases are two big things that we look for uh in terms of a rally but now the one uh red flag that we did see today is that a government marked wallet allegedly associated with the silk road asset seizure uh however so long ago did move 
1,500 Bitcoins from that wallet to Coinbase. So that's a big thing to watch out for if you are a bull, is that there could be around $50 million of liquidity uh, reintroduced, um, though we do not see the government uh, you know, selling that in one go. It would probably not be smart from a, you know, from a um, getting the best price perspective to, to go ahead and batch sell that. So we may see a TWAP into these buys. So it'll be very interesting to follow that over the next couple of weeks. Now, in relation to what Alex said about Circle and some of these others, the, the big thing about the EDX exchange is they're not custodying crypto. This is a big kind of note to make uh, that is much different than Coinbase or Binance. Coinbase and Binance custodies your crypto. You send their, your crypto to them, then you trade it. This EDX exchange will not custody your crypto. It will be very much like a traditional brokerage. They don't hold your assets. Someone else does. Then you execute the trades through them. So that's that's one kind of difference in terms of this movement towards, you know, quote unquote, institutional exchanges. And then in reference to Circle, I do agree with Alex that it, it's, you know, and Grayscale as well. Grayscale and Circle are two names we have not heard in a very long time. They have massive amounts of assets and anything to do with their general operations will negatively affect crypto if certain abilities for the way that they operate are yanked, i.e. the redemption or, um, you know, sending out of USDC um, or, you know, any, anything else related to uh, the operation of assets. So um, those will be two big things that I'm looking for in the future. And most notably, we also saw GBTC, that, uh, that discount nearly disappeared almost overnight. I think GBTC is up 20, 30%. So someone is interested in Grayscale's GBTC. Um, how will that affect Circle? I don't think directly, but those are two big companies that I am looking for very closely around this massive Bitcoin rally, because if either the, the Silk Road assets get sold, uh, coin or Circle gets a Wells notice or Grayscale, something happens in terms of them selling or the ability to actually run their company, all three of those could have an immediate negative impact on crypto. So we are paying very close attention to that now that we're at 28K and staring at 30K. And go ahead, Rob, I'm quick to follow up with, uh, with Nick's great commentary. Um, even though EDX is not going to custody crypto and be, and it's going to be a brokerage, keep in mind, does not mean that two out of those three don't have the ability to custody crypto. One being Fidelity, which is this crypto custody product uh, for years, even though it's not a bank. And Charles Schwab, which is a bank and has permission to custody by the uh, laws that were issued uh, two years ago to banks for banks to have the ability crypto uh, to custody crypto. So you're saying they're so not I assume they, they will be will. kept. No, 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 no. Fidelity has been custodying crypto for, for years. So uh, and Charles Schwab is a bank and has the uh, regulatory ability to custody crypto, even though it doesn't. So um, I believe that will all be kept within the ecosystem. Well, but Alex, when we say custody crypto, let's make sure that we don't make more of it than it is. <laughs> what kind of crypto can you custody? Uh, not following what at fidelity it, it bitcoin and ethereum well that's all edx is doing right now so i i assume that the i i assume mark that they will lo be in lockstep as they branch out to service offerings but i i wouldn't i would not think that uh fidelity uh schwab or citadel would allow crypto custody outside the ecosystem. So my take is that approvals for trading will be approvals on custody simultaneously. That's just my my thought. 
I could be. Yeah, wrong. No, I I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. Great conversation, you guys. This is fantastic. And just again, follow us at Get Rev Radio if you're listening. It's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Space. It's Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday edition, all at five thirty Eastern time. Stick around after we're done because we do have a show beyond B3, which lets you guys, B3 Nation, join in. And I just want to say, we're, I'm just bragging for us a little, but we're always hitting it on the head. Nick, Nick would and trade the chain with their with their Bitcoin forecast on how the how the coin would move depending on where it was. Follow Nick's charts; he seems to be on it. Mark always calling things right. Alex, I mean, we're really hitting them. So if you're listening to this, you know, again, we're not giving you advice of what to do, but I will say we are. We are giving you stuff you 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 want to hear. So let's talk about another conspiracy, Mark. Not really, but it could be. Jay Powell's pause. Um, and how does this affect companies, corporations themselves? The market's reacting. Jay, Jay Powell's put out, the Fed's put out what their plan of action is, which is a little unusual maybe, but they've sort of said, here's our future. Nothing for the moment, but then we're going to hike. How are companies responding to that? Well, Rob, obviously, you know, as interest rates go up, the cost to carry existing debt for companies just as much with the individuals goes up, right? With variable rate loans and things of that nature. On on the corporate scene, the bigger problem is we have about $250 million in corporate debt that's coming due, uh, $250 billion, excuse me, corporate debt that's coming due within the next year. And a lot of that is going to be far more costly to either to pay off or to refi given interest rates. So the question is, you know, what are corporations going to do? Are they going to just pass those costs along to the consumers? Further fueling inflation? Or is there some other plan in store? My guess is it's going to make the inflation picture even worse. I mean, what if... And just to follow up real quick with that, Rob, uh, you know, because I I don't think Mark gave himself enough credit. You know, it's a trickle-down economy, right? So... You also have, and as he's been showing everybody for the last how many weeks on the new highs in consumer credit uh, credit card uh, balances that we have, um, we you know we have CPG products, uh, we have consumer uh, sentiment that's heading downwards. Where are these going to be passed down to, and who's going to have the affordability to even purchase the you know the inflated products? So. I think, uh, and I'd love to hear Mark's, term, uh, you know, Mark's voice on this because he's been talking about this for months. But it's almost like a vicious circle. You just like to hear Mark's baritone voice, Alex. That's what this is. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! I thought we kept that. <laughs> B three Nation does now. Three after dark. Oh my god! But you know, here's here's the funny thing, guys, and and I didn't get to it in in um, thinking about what to talk about in our TradFi block, because there's so much of the stuff going on. And, you know, even with the addition of the second hour, the time goes by very quickly. But consumer sentiment, remarkably, Alex, remarkably, and I'm trying to figure out who these consumers are and what it is that they're so goddamn happy about. But consumer sentiment was is actually on the upswing, notwithstanding that those very same consumers are seeing and in and, and different surveys saying, yeah, things are a little more expensive. Yeah, I'm, like my quality of life is going down a little bit. Yeah, you know, it seems like the, the cost of everyday goods is, is going up. And yeah, I'm probably uh, doing that trade down trade that Dr. J always talks about, which I'm a huge believer in, right? Whether it's our dollar store trade, 
whether it's our fast food trade because people are going from fine dining to casual to fast casual, you know, to quick serve right down to the, you know, the lowest rung fast food in terms of the, the hierarchy of, of, uh, of, of food groups here in the United States. Um, but consumer sentiment, according to some recent surveys that I can't quote because I don't have those notes in front of me, is actually on the rise. I do not have any way to explain why that is the case, but it is, of course, as you point out, one of the not-so-hidden consequences of a rising rate environment. Interest rates are being uh, increased by Jay Powell and the feckless Fed in an attempt to rein in inflation but unfortunately, if you don't do it right, and that is not just in the amount of the rate hikes, but the pace and the timing of the rate hikes, which can be even more important by the, than the amount by which you hike rates, can have the opposite effect. Co corporations, particularly CPG companies, as Alex pointed out, have the ability to say, oh, well, it costs us more to hire people. It costs us more to service our debt. It costs us more to, uh, to borrow money to continue operations. What are we going to do? We're going to pass that along to the consumer, and they will do it until there's no way they can do it even more. And I just don't know where that is. And Mark, to, to your to so, your point, Rob, I want to just interject here because um, I think Mark might find this humorous. So, Mark, you know how Pete Najarian, our uh, colleague John's brother, he's always posting things on Twitter like, "I went to Home Depot, I checked out the parking lot, um, I went to this store, this store," and he's kind of basing his own in real life uh analysis on things, sure right? sure so i was uh i was talking to uh john the other day and i said you know down here in puerto rico i said why are the malls so packed i said i feel like the the puerto rican consumer economy is so bustling yet our gdp down here is so low How, where are they spending this money on i'm flabbergasted and i came to find out after further studying uh, that it's because people uh, have unreliable air conditioning in a lot of parts, so they go to the mall all day to stay yeah. cool. So I want to make sure Pete doesn't fall into that little trap. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we did go to those of us who follow B3 know we went to Sizzler, so I guess we downgraded. From, oh, you know, Morton. Bob, Rob. Wow. So I feel like I'm on a Seinfeld set here, and I love that. We have a live studio audience. But at some point in time, Rob, those those SOBs at Sizzler are going to have to pay us some marketing dollars because, you know, airtime on this show ain't free. No, and they've done well by us. Hey, <laughs> they've done very well by us. So so that's the take. That's the skinny, as they say. on on And, and this is the downside to sort of close this up of the Fed saying we are going to lower interest rates, but not for a long time, right? Your point is, well, then companies are going to go, okay, well, we're going to act accordingly in the meantime, and it's going to probably right. cause more inflation. That's right. Not not good. Once again, the feckless Fed, just saying. The vicious, the vicious circle, the vicious circle of monetary policy. So let's talk about data. Mark, you love data. You co-founded Battlefin, which yeah. is a, a prominent alternative data platform. And, and before we get into it, because the data – is is telling is it, the data is telling us there's a, a bull story under this. But before we get into that, tell everybody what alt data is, because I bet a lot of our listeners you may not know what alt data. What does Mark mean when he says alt data? Yeah, sure, Rob. So you know, alternative data, and our loyal listeners have heard me talk a lot about a company that I co-founded. God, eleven years ago now. It's hard to believe. It's called Battlefin. 
This is a unpaid for uh, shout out, www.battlefin.com. It's one of the first in the industry. It's an alternative data platform. We seek, find, curate, and put in one place all sources of alternative data from all around the world that help us and other sophisticated smart money investors make more informed investment decisions and alternative data, which falls into 43 categories, none of which I'll list right now, is basically data you can't get anywhere else or insights that are unique and proprietary from data that you can get other places, but you can't figure it out without the secret sauce that the company, the data provider or the data insight company provides. So really, really interesting space. Our, our biggest Customers, our biggest buyers of these data sets are the world's, not surprisingly, the world's largest hedge funds. Um, and they're, you know, very uh, astute to look for uh, alpha and look for unique in insights and information on the companies that they trade. So, but, you know, we, we're very data centric. We're very data savvy people. And sometimes, even though I might be feeling that the market should perhaps not be on the bull run that it is on, Rob. You got to look at a whole bunch of data points that are not necessarily all coming from the same source, as is the ones I've assembled for the B3 Nation for this part of the show, that are giving us lots and lots of indication that not only are we in a bull market, which we know, right, based on the rules of what um, constitutes a bull market, but that we may be in a bull market that, notwithstanding all-time high consumer credit card debt, notwithstanding all-time low consumer saving rates, notwithstanding the feckless Fed pausing hawkishly and continuing to increase rates before we cut, notwithstanding, 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 we're in this bull market, right? And just a few data points that I want to um, share with the audience, right? The last time that the S&P had five consecutive winning weeks in a row was near the end of 2021, and it had, had gained about 8.2% during that period. It's been more than three years since the S&P climbed six weeks in a row, which we're about to break. This was week five that we just covered. In almost 25 years, there's only been 13 times when the S&P has posted a gain six weeks or more in a row. But as the S&P attempts to stretch its current weekly running streak since 2001, we see cash coming off the sidelines out of money market funds, right, which is where everybody poured their money during the banking crisis. We saw CDs and money market funds inflows go bananas. Well, that trend has reversed. That money is going where? It's going into equities, something that we've covered in previous shows. And a couple of other really interesting things to mention that are sort of seemingly uh, random, but I think it'll come together when, when you think about the context, the overall context of what we're showing here. If you look at the past 60 years, and that's a long, long time, if a bear market in the S&P goes down by 25% or more, meaning the S&P was down by 25 last year between the bull market high and the, and the bear market close, stocks after that happens, stocks tend to go up an average of 38% a year period. That's market data. Yes, a lot of changes in market structure and fractions to decibels and, and you know dark pools and all of that. And I lived through all of that in, in real time. But man, oh man, when I started sort of pulling together this seemingly random combination of stats as to why we think that we're in a bull market, 
trends do and history does tend to repeat itself not 100 percent of the time but the data is definitely pointing to a bull market cycle that might be here to stay for a little while well, you know I'm and by the way one last one last fun fact this one's for you rob the four-year presidential cycle okay this has been tracked over the past 50 years as well shows that year three of a president's presidency tends to be the best in the stock market. And I am super loath to give this president any credit for anything good economically or maybe otherwise, but certainly when it comes to fiscal and monetary policy and the current economy, which I think is largely in the condition it's in because of him not knowing what the hell he's doing. But since 1950, Rob, Stocks have always gone up a year after midterms with the average 12-month forward return following midterm elections of 18.6%. That is unbelievable. So we're literally, from the political cycle perspective, which I know you love, we are literally in the first half of what has historically been one of the most bullish period for the stock market and, S and equities generally that is a lot of fascinating data. And, you know, on the politics one, right? I don't know that it matters that Joe Biden's not doing well, because your point is it's been every presidency. So it must have something to do Correct. with the way the market responds to the time before an election or after the midterms. Or maybe they're excited that, like, you know, we're going to get some change or not some change. But somehow, right, there's a consistency over all parties. And it's it's that's right. It's fascinating. I, I think. Um, it's it's either B of A or JP Morgan that that has a for their private wealth clients they do a really deep dive on this in every election cycle. I always find it really fascinating because not just from an intellectual perspective, um, but but from the perspective of trying to figure out what are those threads of consistency that cause these things to repeat. Um, because look, that's how if we can find those threads and we can indicate. Or, or point out when they're recurring, then we're better positioned to make money as opposed to lose money. So we, we could do a show just on that. It's really fascinating. It is. And I was originally going to say, you know, it's, a, you know, like in sports, like if you're a football fan or whatever, you know, you always hear them giving the stats. It's been 70 years since this happened. It's been 16 seasons since this, you know, forget it. If they say you haven't thrown an interception in 12 games, because you're going to throw one of the next play. But, um, you know, but I guess your point on this would be the data the, the trends that you're looking at, they don't necessarily prove it will happen. But if you have enough of a correlation between enough of these things, it's suggestive that it's pretty likely, right? You're not just picking one data point. You're going, there's there's 10 different data points here. All are suggesting this trend. There's got to be something to it. It's unlikely they're just they're just off. It's just just happenstance that they all line up that way. Yeah, well, they, you know, there's a there's a very silly expression that the trend is your friend, and that there's no doubt that when things persist over such long periods of time, particularly as I pointed out, where you've got such significant fundamental change in market structure, like we can't you can't compare trading today versus trading, you know, ten or or, or, or much less twenty or thirty years ago, right? From the volumes the role of options and futures, decimalization, dark pools, high frequency, you, you can't you can't compare it, right? So when you see, it's, it's almost like saying, well, there's really got to be something there because despite those fundamental changes in market structure, we still see these trends. So it's, look, it's not the only thing to point to and place a bet based on that information, but it's really interesting and it's something that I pay attention to. And 
frankly, I continue to want to dissect and learn more just from my own intellectual curiosity. Yeah, and look, we do it. You do it in crypto yeah. too, Alex. You do it with Trade the Chain. You follow that. You follow data. Yeah, yeah. I do want to. I do just want to say something. Apparently, uh, Wisdom Tree, uh, which is Wisdom Tree ETF, uh, one of the uh, founded brothers, a uh, client of mine in TradFi uh, sector, but uh, apparently has filed for a spot uh, ETF as well um, with the SEC. So uh, BlackRock has a little competition that's just come into play. Um, real quickly, I, you know, before uh, you know, we talk about something else, I want to just ask, uh, you know, discuss with Mark or hear his thoughts on CRE because him and I were talking earlier um, and he is well versed in this, but you know, as like there's like a big deal happening in CRE in San Francisco, which has become the crown jewel for degeneration of major U.S. city in this country over the last three years, let's call it. Um, but it has to do with Westfield Malls, and uh, Mark, I just I didn't mean to call you out on it. I just thought no, it we're bringing it up. It's, it's, it's really it is. And Mark, let's set this up right because we've talked about this on the show, and actually, Grant Cardone was on. Uh, recent Twitter space and said, you know, there's, there's 270 billion in commercial bank loans coming due, right? You've got, you've got a crisis. You've got high interest rates. You've got office vacancy levels really high. People are saying commercial real estate could implode and it could cause a regional banking crisis. So take us through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, um, I don't see how it doesn't happen, right? For all of the reasons that you just described, we, we have a perfect storm of a historically rapid uh, interest rate hike cycle, right? That's not over, notwithstanding this pause. We have a a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime change, well, maybe once-in-multiple-lifetime change in habits regarding work, right? Work from home, work from office, return to work. We hear every day about the struggles uh, that are being experienced by corporations trying to drag their employees through uh, uh, carrots and sticks back to the office. You have the the control, uh, unfortunately, of most of the major cities, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Miami being a wonderful outlier, uh, in control of, unfortunately, a, a Democratic leaders who are pursuing uh, policies of weak policing, weak enforcement leading to unbelievable record high crime. And you don't have to be you know, a, a, a conservative, Republican, a MAGA guy, a fiscal conservative, the, the numbers are the numbers, right? The crime rates are the crime rates. I was in San Francisco, actually, with Pete and John Nigerian uh, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, very briefly, uh, because it was on our way to and from uh, Napa. And I can honestly tell you, I do not recognize the city. And, and what you're talking about, Alex... Brookfield, right, was one of the owners of that Westfield property along, I believe, with a major European, I think it's a hedge fund, I don't remember the name of it, basically walking away. They're going to take a $560 million loss on that asset, and they're like, take it, take the keys, take the property, we don't want it, we still owe you $600 million. bucks. we would rather take the write-off than continue to manage this piece of dog you-know-what. What does that tell you? I mean, so, and and the other thing that I talk about a lot when this subject comes up 
is the timing of this, right? What what when is it going to happen? When are we going to see this other shoe drop in CRE and commercial real estate? And one of the other data points that we look at and we look at very carefully is the data from some of the uh, real estate-related geolocation foot traffic. I'll give you one. Placer.ai is one of the data companies that we love for this kind of data that we use to try to determine duration of commercial leases, right? Both commercial leases for office space as well as for retail properties because what we believe and what the data is showing us is that within the next 12 months, we're going to have an even bigger uh, or an even um, further catalyst to this uh, looming CRE problem, which is non-renewals of commercial space. So there is uh, a whole bunch of leases for both retail space and office space that are essentially in sort of zombie status. They're not being used for a variety of the reasons that we just described, both on the office side and on the retail side, and they're not going to be renewed. They haven't defaulted yet because the corporations don't want to have that hit to their credit, but they haven't renewed those leases. When those leases are not renewed in 12 months and it's going to happen in a in a very large scale and quantity, that's going to drive the underlying debt on these properties into what's called technical default. Because if, if the borrower doesn't make payment, that's one reason they go into a default. But the other reason that commercial real estate goes into default, and I'm sorry for the rant on this, folks, is if you don't maintain certain rent rolls or occupancy levels. So I think you've got a really bad storm brewing in CRE. So much of that paper is held by the regionals. The regionals have had the shit kicked out of them, you know, or enough already this year. I'm very concerned. And and my timing on this is like June of 24. Wow. Well, so what happens, and, and Alex, bring you back into the suit, because crypto will play a part of this, but Mark, what happens? I mean, if the, if, if the regional banks are holding a lot of this debt, there is going to be there is going to be a shakeup. My guess is, un, not it won't be so much that a bunch of banks collapse as we'll we'll see consolidation, right? I mean, J.P. Morgan's got to be just chomping at the bit, like we'll buy we'll buy up banks, right? Or is that not the or would it actually create a banking crisis versus a different kind of problem, which is just a massive consolidation of a lot of smaller banks? Well, you know, crisis causes consolidation. So I, I think you're, I think you're right on all fronts. I just think it's a question of the sequence. What banks should be doing right now, and I'm, and I hope they are with their CROs, their chief risk officers, their outside consultants, and you know maybe their their Fed representatives. Although it depends on what part of the country, if you're going to get any sort of decent input from them. Um, to shore up the balance sheet, right? To, to do what they should have done when it comes to the duration mismatch that caused the first banking crisis. That That is what caused the, the banking crisis. The duration mismatch from long-dated paper and short-dated paper, hold to maturity, the need to actually recognize or not recognize losses with respect to those HTM, the hold to maturity paper. You can actually make moves around that, right? You can sell, you can hedge. There are things you can do if you don't procrastinate and just wake up one day and go, oh, my God, the Fed's hiked rates the fastest that they've ever done since the Fed was established. Maybe we've got a problem. No. Act on it now. Shore up the balance sheet. Renegotiate with the other uh, lenders and the and the creditors and try to head some of this off at the pass. 
but not everything can be fixed because a lot of it's just fundamentally underwater. Yeah, and we'll see how many banks actually do that. This is the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. Tuesday, Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time we do this. We also have a weekend edition on Sunday, also at 5.30 Eastern time. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow our speakers. Tweet out the space. And definitely when we're done here, stick around. We have Beyond B3 with Julie Lamb. You guys, B3 Nation, get to be part of that. You can engage, can ask lots of questions, have fun. Um, just the way we are right now as well. Alex, let's, let's, and Nick, let's talk a little, uh, a couple crypto things. And just on, on the, the, coming off of what Mark said about CRE, about commercial real estate, um, wouldn't this be, if, if, if Mark's scenario plays out, even if some banks take efforts to, you know, mitigate it, if a crisis emerges, won't this again be a huge opportunity, particularly for Bitcoin? I'll let, I'll let Nick take this one. Nick, are you there? Yeah, sorry about that. I my phone would not unlock for some reason, and it was uh, it was on black screen because I was uh, not speaking. So apologies about that. But um, yes, Rob, to answer your question, I do believe that uh, Bitcoin more so than anything else would likely experience an inflows or attraction from that. Now, if it's widespread, if if there's legitimate contagion that sparks fear against risk markets, remember, crypto is generally regarded as the riskiest market. So if there's something market-wide that's not just commercial real estate, Bitcoin will likely be one of the first to take a hit. But if it is centralized towards markets and industries that are very tightly correlated to, let's say, institutional and bank performance, then if you are seeing an issue there and you need to chase yield or figure out what the most uh, likely narrative is to uh, gain a boost from that type of action, then yes, I do believe Bitcoin would see massive inflows or interest from that type of uh, situation. So I wanted to make that one caveat that if it's beyond just commercial real estate, likely bad things but you know centralized towards commercial real estate um there is a chance for at least short-term positivity hold on to your bitcoin it's only going up um so we talked a little about um in in the first part we talked a bunch about what was going on with the 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 etf you know i mean look blackrock's got got, gonna launch an etf i know alex you just said somebody else in the middle of our show is announcing they're doing it you know, you've got the, the the EDX markets venture we were talking about with Fidelity Citadel. Um, you know what what is going on here? I mean, we're seeing a lot of stuff coming out. We're seeing a lot of movement. We talked about the tinfoil hats, but meanwhile, the other side of this equation is the the SEC is going hard still after platforms, Coinbase, and now Binance and Binance. So that's the two the two sides of this coin they are attacking some of the big players and binance had a minor victory but what's your take on it alex and, and overall the big picture for binance and, and coinbase right now i mean i gave my uh my big take on it a short while ago with mark um you know i it, it is what it is in in my mind uh and it was wisdom tree etf which is a 80 some odd billion dollar ETF uh, started a while back that just filed its S1 for for the Bitcoin ET, uh, spot ETF just now, late this afternoon. Um, no, I, I you know it is what I said. I think it's a I think it's a two tiered justice system uh, or regulatory system, and I think it's extremely unfair. I I, w- I would love to know publicly more what has gone on with the you know various approvals of uh, these launched products. Um, as opposed to, you know, 
the very public nature that they've handled the lawsuits. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I have very mixed emotions about this. Well, let me take let me take a try to put an optimistic spin. Even if you're right that that this is all part of a plan, is there an upside to having? Having these pathways, not what the Fed is doing, but I mean, having these exchanges, these opportunities for retail investors to be trading, primarily would be Bitcoin and Ethereum. But isn't that possibly a good thing in terms of having people get more of a footprint, having the space grow in the United States, leaving aside that they're still targeting Binance and Coinbase, or is it is it not a win? You mean you mean with the launch of EDX? Yeah, with the EDX launch. Yeah, with things like that. Uh, you know, and I mean, I worked on the institutional side of crypto for so long and still follow it very closely and have many friends and a lot of the funds have helped uh, around the world that are, are in existence and are big guys. Um, the market just isn't the same as retail. I mean, I remember when when I was sitting at my desk and, and Bach opened up for business, uh, you know, with uh, fully regulated uh, futures. Nobody showed up on the first day. Not only did nobody show up on the first day, nobody showed up for the first three months, you know, and then all of a sudden they had $100,000 in contract volumes. I mean, the only thing that this may be a play for are regulated asset managers in crypto, the big ones, um, who need an execution venue or a prime broker for just Ethereum or Bitcoin. Otherwise, it's it's a real snoozer. Um, I think there, you know, there's a lot of talk going around <clears throat> that this is the pl- uh, plumbing for uh, banks to get into crypto, and I kind of agree. Uh, I-, I would also like to know how the regulatory approval process went for them when from three major exchanges uh, in crypto for a number of years who control a large market share. Uh, were unable to register with the uh, SEC or air any of their clarity questions to them. So I'm still confused. <laughs> you know what? Uh, and by the way, Rob, if th- this conversation maybe can or maybe even should leak into beyond, we'll, we'll leave that up to our incredible hostess, Julie. But um, our one of our friends of B3 the incredibly talented, I refer to her as GRD, Genevieve Roche-Dichter, who's one of the uh, most talented uh, analysts and market prognosticators. Uh, if you don't know her, you should go and follow her. Free shout out uh, to, to Genevieve. She just posted something while we were on to the effect of SEC you know, consolidating power in crypto to get rid of all the small guys and do the same thing that they're doing with the regional banks and and what would be the reason to do that? To consolidate and prepare for CBDC, uh, you know, uh, at a certain that is point. Scary, Mark. That is scary. Well, I mean, listen, and I'm not a tin hat guy, Rob. I, I I'm not known for being a tin hat guy. I don't I don't even think I have aluminum foil. I think my mother told me yesterday she was over briefly for Sunday dinner on Father's Day and said, you know, I think you're out of aluminum foil. Oh, I have a saran wrap, so I don't even have any tin to put on my head. Right Alex now. took it off, but um. Yeah, but but you gotta you gotta question some of this stuff because it, it's just it, it does it and Alex and Nick, you guys tell me, does it not look like what they're doing with the regional banks? It's consolidation of power. They, I've said this in the past. The FDIC weaponized the instability of the regional bank crisis in order to choke out the rails. I, I firmly believe it is. Wow. I, I definitely agree as well. It's it's certainly, I mean, if you just look at it, it's Occam's razor, you know, it, I don't think we need to get too complicated here, except to just look at the facts. 
um, you know, absurd lawsuits, you know, a lot of name saying and, and uh, finger pointing and name calling. Um, and then, uh, you know, right when everybody's calling for, you know, the absolute depths of crypto, we're going to go below 20K, everything's dead. Um, you know, right when we're on that edge of being pushed off with no parachutes, the big boys step in and claim their stake. Um, and some of them have been, you know, uh, very quietly and in the shadows, either mining Bitcoin or acquiring Bitcoin. This includes the U.S. government throughout this entire process. Um, and now here, I, I think they're 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 going to cash in or at least attempt to. Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard not to not to see. I mean, you don't have to think of it as a conspiracy. You know, Alex keeps saying I'm a tinfoil hat on. I mean, maybe at a certain point, it's just it's just it is what it is. It's not a conspiracy at all. And it's not a stretch at all to go. Why is the government so aggressively going after several big crypto platforms? Meanwhile, green lighting other institutional investors into the space in a nice, quiet, smooth way, and also holding their own coin and, and selling it. I mean, it's just those things alone. Forget Mark's stuff with the Fed and the regional banks and all that just on the surface. Maybe it's not conspiracy at all. Maybe it's just really plain and obvious right in our faces and we need to just start owning that this is what they're doing. The question then becomes, what do you do about that? Regime change. Right. And, and, and the, the problem, Rob, and you're, you're absolutely right, is at some point we should stop calling it a conspiracy and, and call it news. Right. Well, I'm certainly not the arbiter of what is and isn't news, even on this show. But um, it's it, you have to question, is this what the government should be doing? And I think the answer in an allegedly free market economy, an allegedly capitalist economy, an allegedly American democratic political system the answer i don't care if you're if you're republican Demo democrat atheist presbyterian i don't care what your leaning or your religious affiliation is your answer if you're american should be no right and if the government is pursuing a particular campaign a, a, a particular path because the people in power determine that that is what's best for the organized and safe a continuation of our allegedly free market economy, then tell us that that's what you're doing. You, you guys are all children. Crypto is only for the big boys. We're only going to let Fidelity and Citadel and JP Morgan and, and BlackRock uh, have crypto related products. The rest of you, you know, take your toys and get out of the sandbox. Same thing with banking. It's not for the regionals. It's not for the mom and pa's. It's not, you know, Bailey savings and loan. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a wonderful life anymore. It's just for the three money center banks. Just tell us that's what you're trying to do. And then we can fight over and determine through our electoral process, whether that's appropriate for this country. Right. But it's the fact that we're not doing it publicly, that it, that it seems to be a, an unspoken uh, campaign, that that's where we, that's where people can and should be, I think, are. We need another Jimmy Stewart, speaking of It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Mark Lepresti goes, and how yeah. does that go to Washington? Um, it, well, listen, here's a last, last topic uh, on the crypto stuff, and it might tie in, Alex and, and Nick, and, and Mark, of course, as well, but starting with you guys, does um, does does the, does the fact that people are moving a lot of their Bitcoin into cold wallets, that's a good sign, but I mean, is... Is it possible people are going, look, we need to acquire and hold Bitcoin because it will be the one thing that's clearly for Bitcoin maximalists the reason you do it. But could more and more people be doing that, more hodling going on, or is that totally unrelated? 
Uh, I, I, I believe it's unrelated. I mean, we, we see the movement sitting out of cold storage on Bitcoin, especially the OTC desk all the time. Um, you know, maximalists uh, will, will have you believe, uh, you know, that that's the way it should be done until all of them are taken out and we just uh, all get rich and, and go up. Um, but no, that, that's not uncommon. I mean, uh, I've been working on the uh, ROTC desk, OTC desk the uh, last three weeks. We've seen about a quarter of a billion dollars of Bitcoin uh, moving in and out of cold storage on those transactions, along with USDT, USDC, uh, and things of that nature. So um, that's just normal uh, transactional movement. But I'll let Nick weigh in. Uh, no, I mean, I tend to agree with Alex for the most part. Um, I do think that in aggregates, if you're seeing more people move into cold storage um, than obviously moving on chain, then that is certainly a positive. But I don't, you know, in my history tracking Bitcoin's price and that specific metric, there's no exact one to one correlation, meaning, you know, if, if we see a spike or, or a, you know, a maybe a one to three month increase in terms of people moving Bitcoin, you know, off chain and into cold storage that, you know, occasionally you'll see, you know, price movements, you know, go up along with, you know, moving off chain, but there's no exact science to say if, if this, then that, um, but generally, you know, over a long period of time, if you do see those movements in aggregate, certainly a positive. So it's a good thing, regardless of it's not for the, for the reasons I, I was, I was trying to get conspiracy going. I wanted one more conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you just think about, you know, there's a hard cap on the price, um, you know, there's obviously still going to be more Bitcoin minted by the time we speak in, in, in terms of that cap. I think it's, you know, got another hundred years by by current estimates. But um, if you think about finite supply and people are hoarding that assets and there's going to be very little introduced, obviously less available supply with steady or increased demand. Basic economics tells you that that likely will result in uh, an upwards direction of price action. Well, listen, upwards with Bitcoin is a good thing. Um, I mean, no one's going to complain about that. And and Nick, again, you were right on your call with your with your magic chart, which, you know, is crazy. But it, it you hit the number down and hit the number back up. We'll see how it holds going, you know, going through the, the rest of the week. Um, this has been a great show, you guys. It's Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. We do it Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time at GetRev Radio. We do a Sunday edition, 5.30 Eastern as well. Please follow us at GetRev Radio. Please, you know, share out the space. You're not going anywhere because we got Beyond B3 coming up. And follow all our hosts, Alex, Mark, Nick. So much fun to do. So insightful. Lots of great predictions. Um, B3 Nation, couldn't do it without you. The Money Show, our sponsor. Be sure to check them out. They are offering you a free, it's a free event, basically. It's a virtual, you know, expo. Just get in on it. It's the mid-year portfolio review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.